All right, welcome back to Formate Arbitration. And today we're going to be dealing with a dispatch of value window of operation. And we'll get into that in just a second. I've met so many of my brothers and sisters over messages and Facebook messages and emails and texts. I have really enjoyed that. <laughs> I really have. Uh, from all across the country, man, it's been a ball. I tell you, I, you know, when I started, like I've said a million times, when I started this, I don't know who was going to be listening, if anybody was going to be listening. But uh, I have really enjoyed that. People reaching out for whatever reason. We looked at contentions together. Uh, we chit-chatted about things. I've had a ball with it, man. I really have. Uh, I love getting to know y'all and the questions you have. And Remember this. And I've dealt with this with a gentleman. We've become good friends over over this. Uh, matter of fact, I uh, they asked me to do a Zoom meeting with their and uh, their union meeting, and I was able to do that. We had a lot of fun. But uh, him and I had worked on a last chance agreement together, and and we lost. Uh, it didn't even make it to arbitration. We lost at the B team. Matter of fact. That's a heartbreaker, <laughs> losing at the B team. I understand they got to do their job, but I'm going to let that ride to uh, arbitration, see what an arbitrator has to say about that because, you know, it doesn't hurt losing anything. It doesn't set precedent. You're, you're bound to that one decision, so that doesn't, doesn't matter really. But we lost it at the B team, and he was devastated. It, it doesn't matter <laughs> what you say to somebody that's lost. You know, it takes a couple of days. I've I've dealt with some devastating losses in my time, unfortunately. I mean, absolutely crushing defeats. And it takes you a while. It takes you a while to get back on your feet after that. You know, you question some things. I told you uh, when I was going through my divorce, I lost eight arbitrations in a row. Chew on that. <laughs> you talking about tough? Chew on that one. Eight arbitrations in a row. Uh, so you question yourself, you question things, you go back and you look and what could I have done differently? All you can do is the best you can do. And that's what I was trying to tell this, this friend of mine. All we can do is the best we can do. And, uh, once it leaves our hands, man, be done with it, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, we didn't come out on top of that one. Last chance agreements are hard, man. They're tough. They are tough. They're a tough sale. I'm still waiting on my decision. I'm scared to death, you know, because I, you know, they're just tough. So to everybody out there, new stewards, older stewards, formal A's, B teams, look, let's do the best that we can do. This is what this is all about. We're putting our case file together with everything that we know to do, putting the best arguments forward, and we still may not win. Okay? That's the nature of the beast. It just is. It's the nature of the beast. Uh, so hopefully we win more than we lose, um, and that's all we can do. Just do the very best that we can for our brothers and sisters. Put the best case files together that we can, and let the chips fall where they may. So to my friend, keep your head up, man. It's not a question of whether you're a good shopster or not. I know you are. I know you are. So we're going to keep fighting. This week I'm going to do the window of operation, dispatch of value, and uh, next week, I'm going to try to get JB in here. I've got to leave early Sunday. I've got an arbitration out of state. Uh, he wants to come in and do a holiday scheduling. I really need that one done. I do. I'm pressuring him. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to try to get the holiday scheduling because new stewards, 
I've been doing this since 06, and I've still got to look it up. It is as confusing as anything you'll do is, is holiday scheduling. And I don't know why, but uh, I, I guess because I don't deal with it much. You know, we got so many people on ODL in my station. I just don't deal with it that much. So it doesn't come up much. But uh, he is going to come in and do a holiday scheduling. That is critical for new stewards because, like I said, when you start looking these things up, that is as, even when you read it, it's confusing. So he's going to come in, hopefully next Sunday and do that for me. Um, he, he's very good. He taught a class in, in our regional training this last week. Uh, he's very good teacher. I guess y'all can tell. I'm going to tell on him here. <laughs> this is funny. He'll kill me for this, but, uh, <laughs> he, uh, when I asked him to do this, these episodes, I've had Jason actually come in and do some. He lives in another state. It's very difficult for him to come up and do one. I've tried to do off-site episodes. I can't get that to work. I even have a gentleman up north. We've been trying forever to get him on to do one. I can't make that work, and I don't know how. My daughter even tried to help me. (laughs) She was trying to help me with it. I'm illiterate as far as computer and all that. So uh, once I get that done, once I figure it out, uh, I'll do that. But but it's, it's hard for Jay to come up here and do some. He did a couple, but he's just in another state. It's difficult. But JB, he's, he lives about an hour away, so he could, it's not that difficult for him. But in arbitration, that's his setting, like I said before. He, he's at home as a witness in arbitration. He, he's amazing. He taught a class in our regional training. Extremely good. I didn't hear anything but positive feedback. This microphone gets him (laughs) and when last time i introduced i don't know if y'all remember me laughing but he hates this microphone and it's so weird i guess because you're just talking into a microphone and and nobody's in here but the first time he came out to do an episode i was telling i was like look i'm gonna do a little intro i'm gonna get up and leave i'm gonna go into the next room so i'm not just sitting here hawking over you he's like okay so i i start him out and i get up and i leave it's been a long time. Long time went by. I didn't hear anything. I'm like, man, he sure is quiet doing it. You know, hopefully he speaks up. Exactly 35 minutes go by. And I know that because when I went in there, the timer was at 35 minutes. He's, sta- he's sitting there looking at the microphone. I said, what are you doing? He's like, man, it, it just ain't coming to me. <laughs> I said, you've been sitting here for 35 minutes and they said a word? Nope. I said, brother, just talk like you're talking to an arbitrator. He's like, can't do it. I was like, man, you're fixing to talk in front of 80-person class. He's like, it just ain't coming. I said, man, just talk like you're talking to me. So I go back in my room. It's about 15 minutes goes by. (laughs) I hear him, hey. I come in, yeah, what's up? He said, I'm going home. (laughs) I said, you're going home? I'm going home. Can't do it. I was like, man, you didn't do anything. Can't do it. So he packs up and he walks out. (laughs) And so (laughs) he comes back, uh, you know, the next, the first episode that he did do. And uh, he was great. I knew that he would be, I wasn't concerned about it, but it's this microphone that gets him. So, uh, if you ever see him or, you know, you talk to him, bug him about that. I was crying, man. 
I was crying. But once he gets going, he's fantastic. Very knowledgeable. I don't deal with things as much as he does. I'm I'm a shop steward and an arbitration advocate. Now, years ago, I dealt with things all the time because I was the formal A. I was where he was at. But I'm not anymore. He deals with things a lot more than I do. So he under, he knows a lot more M documents, all these things. I only know them when I get a case file. I get the case file and I study over that thing. So yeah, I know things based off of that. But he does things on the daily. So I, I like him coming in here, doing these things. He's very knowledgeable. So anyway, long story short, he's going to try to come in and do holiday scheduling. I thought I'd tell on him right there. That was hysterical. But... If he's not, what I'm thinking about doing, and, and y'all may hate this, and I have enough of you out there right now that, that give me feedback, what I may do is I have several closings that I do in arbitration that were taped. I don't tape my closings, but my TAs do because they study those, they listen to them, and they're usually the ones that are involved with the case, and it helps them when they go back. They listen to what I'm saying, what I put emphasis on, They'll get the arbitrator's decision, see what he puts emphasis on, and it helps them with the case file. I may just download those. It'll have no introduction. There'll be none of that music. There'll be none of me talking because I don't know how to do that. I'll just download it straight into the episode. I'll highlight it. I'll tell you what it's about. But it may be confusing because you don't have the case file to understand what I'm talking about. Like I have one on falsification of clock rings. I got some EPs, things like that. So I may download those. You can listen to that, kind of see what a closing sounds like. I'm different than a lot of people, get very animated. But if it doesn't help, because if it's not helping, I'm not going to do it, because that's what this is about. If it doesn't help you, y'all reach out to me. Say, hey, uh, all those, those are funny. We're really not getting anything from it. I'm not going to waste your time with it. And, and I have no feelings. I promise you this. My kids will tell you. My coworkers will tell you, anybody I've ever worked with will tell you, I have no feelings. So you can't hurt them. So tell me the truth. If it sucks, just say, hey, that right there, don't do that. We'd rather you not do one than us sit there and have to listen to that garbage. And you're not going to hurt my feelings. So I may do that. If you can't come in, I may just download a closing. You can listen to what a closing sounds like to an arbitrator. Just give me honest feedback, all right? All right. Now then, let's get into it. Dispatch of value, window of operation. I'm telling you now, there is going to be a lot of reading. A lot of reading on this episode, more than I have ever done. And I hate that. I tell you all the time, I hate reading. But I have some things. I want, I want to get this out. We're going to cover it completely. Window of operation, dispatch of value, management's arguments to an arbitrator, the union's arguments to an arbitrator. And arbitrators are all over the place on window of operation dispatcher value. Uh, I taught two classes in regional training this last week. Uh, one was discipline and one was Article 8. And, and any time I teach a class, I'll ask the class. I think it's probably about 70 or 80 people per class. Uh, I taught four classes. So I'll ask, how many new shop stewards do we have here? Well, we had about three-fourths of the class were new shop stewards, which I love. We get into a part of Article 8 where I ask about dispatch of value, win of operation. How many of y'all understand what that is? Nobody raised their hand. And, and I get that because when I was a new shop steward, I never heard of it before. 
until I sent, was sent on my first case, arbitration, on a dispatch of value window of operation. What is a dispatch of value and a window of operation? Dispatch of value is the last dispatch of mail out of your station. So when management, when they try to restrict Article 8, where it states that those on the list will work 12 hours before those that are not on the list will work. Management will try to restrict that by saying, hey, look, everybody has to be back by 5 o'clock to meet the last dispatch of value, the last dispatch of mail. The last dispatch of mail goes out of our station at 5.30. So we need all the carriers off the street by 5.15. That way they can meet the last dispatch of mail. That's the dispatch of value. Window of operation. You ever have a thing where management, they'll tell you, uh, all the carriers have to be off the street by 6 o'clock. What for? Well, the postmaster wants all y'all off the street by 6. Well, what about maximizing until 12 hours? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Everybody's supposed to be off the street by 6. Well, that's some kind of window of operation. There's a reasoning for that. What are some of the reasons? A lot of times management will tell an arbitrator, look, it's for customer service. We don't want carriers out there all hours of the night because it looks terrible for the post office. Our customer service is, is terrible. Our, our performance is terrible. The customers don't want their mail at 8 o'clock at night. They don't want their mail at 9 o'clock at night. So we've just made a window of operation. Everybody has to be off the street at 6. Y'all heard that before? Darkness. Darkness. It gets dark at a certain amount of time, you know, at a certain time, 5 o'clock, you know, 6 o'clock. We want our carriers off the street at 6 because it gets dark, it's unsafe. We'll talk about that. Uh, the postmaster wants it, or the district manager wants it to be off the street by 5. Uh, so that's our window, 5, 6, 7 o'clock. So dispatch of value and window of operation are any time management has a service goal of a certain time that restricts us under Article 8 where as far as working carries to 12 hours. Anytime that happens, anytime management sets a window of operation at whatever time, I don't care what it is, I'm going to grieve it. If it affects us under Article 8, and I'll get into that Article 8 language here in a second. Anytime management sets a, a goal, a window of operation, I'm going to grieve that every single time. Now, I'm going to read some arbitration decisions. Arbitrators will agree with a dispatch of value, one of operation, as long as it doesn't interfere with Article 8. Some don't believe in it at all. Some fully accept it. So we're going to battle those things today. All right? Hopefully I didn't confuse you with all that. But we're going to battle a window of operation and a dispatch of value today. Let's start with Article 8. Article 8, and I believe... Article 8 was written for those not, not wanting to work overtime. I truly do. I believe that Article 8 was written to protect those carriers that do not want to work overtime. Because if it was not, why write it? Why write Article 8? Just everybody work all the time. Everybody work until you're finished working. Everybody work until all the mail's out. Doesn't matter how many hours, everybody work. That's not the case. Article 8 was written to protect those carriers not wanting to work overtime for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. 
if I want to go fishing every day, or if, if I have child care, or my significant other starts their job in the evening, I've got to be home to watch my kids. If, uh, in my case, I've got a grandson, the love of my life, there's not a human being on this planet I love more than I love my grandson. That's just the way it is. Uh, he calls me home dog. That's what I am to him, home dog. And every time he sees me, he'll tear out running. He's eight years old. He'll tear out running, home dog, you know, and jump up on me. I love that kid more than life itself. Uh, matter of fact, <laughs> he knows if he goes to mom and dad and they say no on something, he's going to sneak off and call me because he knows I'm going to say yes, 100%. I don't care what it is. I'm saying yes. So he knows that. He's my guy. But when he plays baseball or he plays soccer, I may get off the list. You know why? Because I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to miss my grandson playing sports. So I'm going to get off the list because that protects me from being forced to work. That's what a dispatch of value in a window of operation try to interfere with. So let's go through the language of Article 8. Then we're going to get into some sites to show you kind of where management comes from. And then I'm going to end up with a thing called the white pages. I don't know if you have ever heard of that. But it's M01548. M01548. I'll have all this stuff written down for you, though. But anytime you're dealing with a dispatch of value or wind of operation, read this, put this in the file every single time. M01548. It's the white pages. And I don't know why it's called that, but that's what it's called. And I'm going to read the entire thing. Lengthy. Lengthy, boring, but I'm going to read it. We're going to cover window of operation dispatch value today. You're going to understand about how to fight it. Article 8. <clears throat> We're going to start at eight. Article 8.5.A. Article 85A. Employees desiring to work overtime shall place their names on either the overtime desired list or the work assignment list during the two weeks prior to the start of the calendar quarter and their names shall remain on the list until such time as they remove their names from the list. Y'all hear that? Employees desiring to work overtime will put their name on a list. Guess what? If, if I don't desire to work overtime, I'm not going to do that. I'm not putting my name on a list. You know why? Because I don't desire to work overtime. They've got a list for that. That's our argument to the arbitrator. Look, these people here that you're forcing to work, they don't desire to work that. They don't desire to work overtime. But yet you're forcing them to over and over and over again because of some dispatch of value or window of operation. Now let's carry on. And here's another thing. We're going to cover all of them, but management will use 8.5D all the time when they talk about it. And this goes into arbitrator menthol's decision but 85d is what management will always use when they talk about a dispatch of value in a window of operation and they're completely misquoting or misrepresenting 85d okay here's what 85d says if the voluntary overtime desired list does not provide sufficient qualified people qualified full-time regular employees not on the list may be required to work overtime 
on a rotating basis with the first opportunity assigned to the junior employee. Y'all get that? That's what management is going to use. They're going to use Article 3 and then Article 85D to support simultaneously scheduling ODL and non-ODL. Okay? They'll always use 85D. I'm going to read that again to you. If the voluntary overtime desired list does not provide sufficient qualified people, qualified full-time regular employees not on the list may be required to work overtime on a rotating basis with the first opportunity assigned to the junior employee. So that's what management will always use when they're saying, hey, look, the carriers come in at eight. We have a dispatch of value at five. Okay. So that's nine hours. Well, what about... What about the carriers that choose to work overtime up to 12? They're only working nine before you force carriers not on the list to work. Eight to five is nine hours. So if I'm obligated to work 12 hours and you're only working me nine before forcing carriers not on the list to work, we have a problem. But management will justify that with Article 85D. We have a dispatch of value. So the, the voluntary overtime desired list doesn't provide sufficient qualified people. We have to go off the list to make sure that we meet some dispatch of value or of operation. That's what they'll say. Here's where we're going to beat that. 85G. Article 85G. Full-time employees not on the overtime desired list may be required to work overtime only. If all available employees on the overtime desired list have worked up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. Do y'all hear that? Full-time employees not on the overtime desired list may be required to work overtime only. That needs to be in all caps, highlighted, underlined, italicized, circled, and quotation marked. Only if all available employees on the overtime desire list have worked up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. That's where we're going to fight the, uh, the window of operation and dispatch of value. Okay? 85G. Management puts restrictions on 85 with, look, we got dispatch of value, window of operation. 100% of the time, this is the argument we're going to make. When you look at 85F, Okay, when you look at 85F in the language from National Arbitrator Mittenthal, when you look at that language, I'm going to read it to you. Here's another thing that we're going to use to fight management's dispatch of value of window operation. National Arbitrator Mittenthal ruled, and it's got the case there from 1986, that an employee on the ODL does not have the option of accepting or refusing work over eight hours on a non-scheduled day work over six days in a service week, or overtime on more than four of the five scheduled days in a service week. Instead, an employee on the ODL must be required to work up to 12 hours in a day and 60 hours in a week before management may require employees not on the ODL to work overtime. Arbitrator Menthol's award does not extend to situations involving letter carrier working on his or her own route on a regularly scheduled day. Make sure that we're using that language from National Arbitrator Menthol, where he states, Instead, an employee on the ODL must be required to work up to 12 hours in a day 
and 60 hours in a week before management may require employees not on the ODL to work overtime. That goes along with 85G, okay? That's the, the bottom language of 85F where they talk about National Arbitrator Mittenthal. Those two things go together. 85G says what? Only if all available employees on the overtime desires to work up to 12 hours. National Arbitrator Mittenthal and 85F says what? Must be required to work up to 12 hours. Two very powerful words there, only and must. All right? Look those up, define them, put those in your contentions. Anytime management comes in and they state, hey, look, we're starting a dispatch of value of 5 o'clock. Grieve it. Grieve it 100% of the time and use this language. Anytime they're saying that they're going to have to simultaneously schedule, which means, hey, look, once we get to nine hours, once it gets to this dispatch of value, we're having to use carriers not on the list to work. Anytime that happens, file a grievance. When we're putting our case file together, you're going to get all the clock rings, all the clock rings from this time period. And we're going to show that management is continuously violating Article 8 to meet whatever service standard they have. They're continuously violating Article 8 to meet a dispatch of value or a window of operation. They're continuously having to violate Article 8 to do that. That is going to be our argument. When I get into these white pages, I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. <clears throat> if they're forcing non-ODL carriers to work overtime, now, if they're not, there is no grievance, obviously. If, if everything is, if they've, if they've staffed properly and they're not having to violate Article 8, there's no grievance on that. But if they are having to force non-ODL carriers to work, grieve it. Grieve it, okay? Let's get into some arbitrator's decisions. I'm going to kind of show you where we're at as far as management's arguments and what arbitrators will say. Now, remember, a site is a site. It's made, it's put in for persuasive value. If we have 10, management's going to have 10 also. We've got to sell our position better than they do. All right? So here's a, here's a decision. I've got four decisions. One from 1993. One from 2006. One from 2014. And one from 2016 covers a broad range all right so let's go from two from 1993 this is arbitrator britain and this is c13181 c13181 and it's dealing with uh what i was just talking about anytime you hear me talk about simultaneously scheduling uh, we'll address that in these white pages and in some of these decisions but it's national arbitrator Mententhal, and it's dealing with the apwu and that's a contention that we would make, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But he's dealing with the APWU where they go, where they're constantly having to simultaneously schedule for a last dispatch, the last dispatch of mail in the evening when all the stations, all their mail is coming in at the same time. They're overrun with all this mail, and management was having to simultaneously schedule to make sure that all the mail got processed in time. That was what this Mententhal's decision was based off of. Okay, so it really doesn't have anything to do with us, but most arbitrators will use that kind of as a guide. So remember that when we're dealing with simultaneously scheduling, that he's stating, hey, look, in order to get all this mail out on this last dispatch, you can simultaneously schedule uh, to get that, you know, that influx of mail out. 
So that's what we're talking about when we talk about simultaneously scheduling. And here it is on um, Arbitrator Britain's decision. And I'm going to read a lot. I apologize, but I, I need you all to understand where management's coming from. It is management's understanding that the union believes simultaneously scheduling is not in accordance with the national agreement and that management is not using the OTDL as prescribed by Article 8 of the national agreement. It is management's position that in every case cited under Article 8, management scheduled accordingly considering all valid operational constraints. In none of the grievances referring to Article 8 did managers call in or schedule non-overtime desired list employees without first maximizing the people on the, on the overtime desired list. Now they're talking about maximizing to this operational need, not maximizing to 12, but maximizing to this operational need. So when you talk about that, when they talk about operational needs, that like I said, they're using that language under 8.5D. They're using that language under 8.5D to justify that. So remember that. He goes on to state, to cover vacant routes as well as attempt to have all mail delivered prior to 1,700 hours. All right, so even back in 1993, we're dealing with 5 o'clock. 1,700 hours. It was necessary to use non-overtime desired list employees, volunteers first, to work their day off along with overtime desired list employees. The union's contention that overtime desired list carriers should work up to 12 hours before using non-overtime desired list carriers would cause letter carriers to be delivered mail up to 7.30 p.m., which is unsafe and detrimental to the image of the Postal Service. Remember what I was talking about earlier? That From 1993, there was arguing this bullshit. Management also feels that simultaneously scheduling is applied not only to the APWU, that's talking about that menthol, as per attached to arbitration awards, dated January 29, 1990, and January 14, 1991, by arbitrator Richard Mittenthal, but also to the NELC, being the national agreement encompasses both parties. After a view of the arbitration awards, it is evident that the need to use simultaneously scheduling, as in past practice, is a necessary tool used by management to move the mail in an efficient manner. Due to the fact that management found it necessary to schedule non-overtime desired list employees where there was not sufficient overtime desired list employees for operational needs, all available overtime desired list employees were afforded the opportunity to work and that Mr. Mittenthal denied the APW grievances pertaining to Article 8. This grievance is denied. That was management's position. Okay. Do you remember that language I talked about, 85D? Remember what it said? If the voluntary overtime desire list does not provide sufficient qualified people, qualified full-time regular employees not on the list may be required to work overtime. Do you see how they try to tie that in there when they stated that? Due to the fact that management found it necessary to schedule non-overtime desire list employees where there was not sufficient overtime desire list employees for operational needs. Do you see that? How they tried to twist that and spin that? We will always come back to that unambiguous language of 85G, all right, and that Mittenthal decision, only and must. Remember that, only and must, those two words, must work up to 12, only after ODL has worked 12 hours. Always come back to that language when management is trying to say what they're saying here, that there was not sufficient overtime desire list employees for operational needs. That does not say that in Article 8. 
It does not talk about operational needs. It does not talk about dispatch of value. It does not talk about window of operation in Article 8 at no point in any of it. So remember what we're talking about. All right, let's go on. Here's the union's position, all right? It is the union's understanding that management believes that all the cited grievances are simultaneously scheduling. The union did not put forth the argument that all the cited grievances are simultaneously scheduling. Each grievance was to be presented on its own merit. When the above grievances were presented, management did not put forth at any time the argument that simultaneously scheduling is based on valid operational constraints. Management did, in fact, schedule carriers not on the OTDL prior to maximizing carriers on the OTDL. Also, management has now presented matters concerning an operational window, valid operational constraints, in order to have all mail delivered prior to 1,700 hours. That was not presented then and has never before been articulated to the union. Furthermore, the union's contentions concerning the applicability of the APW Arbitration Award case number that's arbitrator Mittenthal, is reflected simply in that the arbitration was relative to the party's disagreements concerning the meaning of their Article 8 memorandum ex executed via a series of meetings between December 10th and 17th. Okay? He goes on. He talks about uh, labor relations specialist, Lindy Young. Send a letter to RAA Carrie Kerner. That's what it states. The above reference grievance was discussed at Step 3 of our contractual grievance procedure. The matters presented by the union concerning this grievance, as well as the applicable contractual provisions, have been reviewed and given careful consideration. Management has established a legitimate business reason to have the mail delivered timely and sufficiently. Based on the fact that simultaneously scheduling was utilized and is authorized and configured by a National Arbitration Award, there is no evidence of any other contractual violations of Article 8. Therefore, the corrective action requested will not be granted and the grievance is denied. In the opinion of the Postal Service, this grievance does not involve any interpretive issues pertaining to the national agreement or any supplement thereto which may be a general application. Therefore, this case may be appealed directly to regional arbitration in accordance with the provisions of Article 15 of the national agreement. Now, this is management's position. Remember, this is where they're going to come from. And he goes on. He talks about a memorandum of understanding between the United States Postal Service and Joint Bargaining Committee. This is American Postal Workers Union and National Association of Letter Carriers. Now, if you get his decision and read it, you'll see where I'm at. Recognizing that excessive use of overtime is inconsistent with the best interests of postal employees and the Postal Service, it is the intent of the parties in adopting changes to Article 8 to limit overtime to avoid excessive mandatory overtime and to protect the interests of employees who do not wish to work overtime, while recognizing that bona fide operational requirements do exist that necessitate the use of overtime from time to time. The parties have agreed to certain additional restrictions on overtime work, while agreeing to continue the use of overtime desired lists to protect the interests of those employees who do not want to work overtime, and the interests of those who seek to work limited overtime. Here's his opinion. And this is what he talks about. You've heard management's arguments. Operational needs, 1,700. Uh, simultaneously scheduling. That was their arguments, right? So here's his decision. Here's his opinion. Determinative of this matter is whether the overtime used on November 29, 1991 was in accordance with Article 8 and the memorandum of understanding in the national agreement. 
Specifically, applicable hereto is the language of Article 8, Section 5G of the National Agreement. Therein, it is expressed to provide that full-time employees not on the overtime desired list may be required to work overtime only if all available employees on the list have worked up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. In adopting this language, the parties have clearly expressed their intent to condition the working by non-ODL employees on overtime on ODL employees working up to 12 hours and avoiding as much as possible requiring that employees perform overtime service contrary to their indicated desires. I hate doing all this reading. It is urged by the employer that non-ODL carriers and ODL carriers work simultaneously for eight hours on November 29th as it was necessary to cover vacant routes and have all mail delivered prior to five o'clock. Management in every instance is said to have acted in accordance with Article 8 and in consideration of all valid operational constraints. Supportive of the validity of its actions according to the employer is the existence of an operational window and case number, and he has the case number there. The record submitted reflects that carriers at the Hyattsville station begin work at 7 o'clock and work until 3.30 o'clock p.m. The mail of all business customers is delivered prior to or as near as possible to 12 o'clock noon. There is testimony of management witnesses that early darkness occurs around 4.30 to 5 o'clock during the period of time in question and that such creates a safety problem. Y'all hear that? They're talking about safety problems. Now remember, the union took management to hearing saying that safety was compromised when it got dark. Y'all remember that? The union took management to hearing. Management's position was that darkness was not a safety issue alone. The union was saying, yes, it is. So we take that to hearing. And an arbitrator ruled against the union. The arbitrator said that darkness alone is not a safety issue. Right? What's management saying here? There's testimony of management witnesses that early darkness occurs around 4.30 to 5 o'clock during the period of time in question and that such creates a safety problem. In this regard, the employer maintains that it is the responsibility of management to provide safety to all its employees and as the delivery of the mail after 5 o'clock p.m. in darkness constitute a safety hazard, it should be avoided as not in the best interest of welfare of its employees. So now they're saying that they're going to violate Article 8 because of darkness. Moreover, the employer maintains that the delivery of mail at the time is detrimental to the Postal Service. It does not convey good business practice. So now we have safety. And hey, look here, Mr. Arbitrator. It's also it's not good business practice to have people out that, you know, that long. It looks bad on us to have mail delivered this late. So they're hitting us with all of it right here. As a result, the employer contends that a past practice has existed in the Hyattsville station for many years that all mail must be delivered and carries back in the office by 5 o'clock before dark. As justification for its action, reference is made by the employer to the language contained in the memorandum of understanding between the United States Postal Service and Joint Bargaining Committee, F, uh, APW and NELC, with respect to Article 8, that the new language is not intended to change existing practices related to use of employees not on the overtime desired list where there are sufficient insufficient employees on the list available to meet the overtime needs. Again, they're going back to 8.5D. 
Again, this is, this is the arbitrator talking now. This is opinion. This is what he says. The difficulty with according the employee's argument as to the existence of a 5 o'clock operational window persuasive force is that it is not convincingly demonstrated by the evidence presented that such an operational window exists at the Hyattville station. Remember when I told you, get clock rings? We're going to get clock rings to show. Not only are they not meeting the operational window, they're going past it quite often, but also they're violating Article 8 continuously by forcing carriers not on the list to work. Not only does contrary testimony indicate that in the past management was not concerned with whether carriers delivered mail in the dark, but there is testimony that the alleged 5 o'clock operational window simply did not exist. Shown to be strongly indicative of the latter is a memorandum from Barry Schweinhart, Field Director, Human Resources, Southern Maryland Division, dated November 25, 1987, to all division directors, postmasters, and designated managers and supervisors. Clearly stated, page four thereof is the following. If and when an operational window is established, postal managers must make it known to all managers, union officials, and employees in written form. This will eliminate all questions concerning any change in policy or practice. Despite this express written mandate, it is uncontroverted that the union was never informed in writing of the existence of an operational window at the Hyattsville Post Office. Indeed, Lawrence Joseph Welling, manager at Hyattsville in charge of the entire Hyattsville process and delivery at the time of the grievances, is shown to have admitted in his testimony that he never notified the union in writing of an operational window at Hyattsville. Thus, it would appear from the evidence that management at the Hyattsville Post Office ignored its own policy and guidelines set forth in the above described memorandum of Mr. Barry Swinehart. Such evidence negates the existence of an essential element of past practice and strongly militates against a finding that a practice has existed at the Hyattsville station for many years that all mail must be delivered and carriers back in the office by 5 o'clock before the advent of darkness. And then he starts going after arbitrator Menthol's decision. Nor does the arbitrator find the position of the employer to be materially advanced by its reliance on case number. Talks about it there, the Menthol decision. In this regard, the employer points out that the arbitrator therein alluded to standards or criteria for simultaneously scheduling, such as bona fide operational requirements, existing practices, and the need to get out the mail, and denied the APW grievance pertaining to Article 8. That reliance by the employer on the reference award is misplaced. It seems to the arbitrator is demonstrated by the language in such award construing the memorandum as to when simultaneous scheduling was justified. After reciting the new language in the memorandum, the words therein were construed by the arbitrator as not creating a new criterion for simultaneously scheduling, but as having merely embraced existing practices as stated by the arbitrator. The parties agreed that whatever practices were in existence on this subject before December 1984 continue in effect after December 1984. Thus, such an award is not applicable hereto in the absence of persuasive evidence of the existence of the past practice averted to by the employer. Moreover, the non-existence of such award of any explicit reference to the maximization of overtime desired list employees in accordance with Article 8, Section 5G substantially diminishes its precedential value in the instant case. So he attacks all of that in his decision and he rules against management. So you kind of get a blueprint of where he's going 
You're not showing an existence of any time of a past practice of operational one at five o'clock. Matter of fact, we have things that show that it never existed. We've got statements from carriers or statements from individuals. We've got this memo of what you're supposed to do before you can implement any kind of operational window. So take those decisions and read them and get those arguments out, management's arguments out, and make sure if he talks about it's not established window, how can we do that? Clock rings. Let's get clock rings and make sure that we're showing, hey, management has implemented this 5 o'clock window. I'm showing carriers are going past 5 o'clock all the time. So they're not establishing a window of operation, right? Because the clock rings show that it's constantly being broken. Also, if your station, if management is constantly violating Article 8, if those that are not on the list are constantly being forced to work overtime to maintain this window, to maintain this window of operation, Grieve that. Use that as part of your grievance. Look, they've implemented this window of operation that is forcing a constant violation of Article 8 by forcing non-ODL carriers to work overtime. Arbitrators are not sympathetic to management during that. They're not going to be sympathetic to management's calls if they're constantly violating Article 8. I told y'all that's a lot of reading right there, and I'm not even a percentage done. But I want you to know where we're going, what we need, when we're trying to beat management coming in saying, hey, look, all carriers need to be off the street by five. All carriers need to be off the street by six. Whatever reason it is, dispatch of value, we got to get back for the last truck, five o'clock for safety reasons, six o'clock for public perception of, of us not being out that late. Anytime they're doing that and we're showing that they're violating Article 8, grieve it. Again, if there's no violation, you're going to lose that grievance if you say, hey, management has stated that six o'clock... You know, we all have to be off the street. If they're not violating Article 8, we're going to have a hard time with that. And these white pages will cover that when I get into that. Here's an arbitration decision from arbitrator Diltz. Diltz, D-I-L-T-S. It's 26675. C-26675. And I have this written down again. This is from 2006. And here's the union. I'll read the union's position and management's position, okay? Here's the union's position. And talking about management's window of operation. The union contends that management has violated a 2001 national agreement and the men ran of understanding when they forced non-OTDL carriers to work mandatory overtime when OTDL carriers were available to carry the mail. The union points out that Kansas City management is again attempting to allege an operational need to justify violating the provisions of assigning additional work in contravention of Article 8.5 of the national agreement. Local management has attempted this tactic several times before, and each one has been resolved by higher management determining that local management violated the national agreement. The union provided the applicable settlement agreements and requests that the arbitrator enforce what management had agreed to in previous instances where they violated national agreement by forcing non-OTDL employees to work overtime when OTDL employees were available to work the overtime. There's really no dispute that non-OTDL carriers were being required to work overtime before all OTDL carriers were offered the overtime to bring them to 12 hours per day and 60 hours in a service week in accordance with the provisions of 8.5G. Y'all get 8.5G down pat, okay? Get that down to heart. Want that by memory. The parties have agreed that the overtime alert reports accurately reflect the hours in dispute. 
The violations being cited by the union are extensive, as detailed in the informal Step A steward's handwritten assessment of the hours on each of the five days in question. The union has presented numerous arguments detailing the nature and extent of management's contractual obligations and their blatant violations of those obligations. Those arguments and corresponding documentation were detailed in the grievance file during the processing of this dispute and further explored during the testimony of the union's witnesses at the hearing. The union has provided the history of the party's negotiations on overtime issues and the history of how management freely entered in agreements which provided protections for carriers from unwanted mandatory overtime and ultimately narrowed the circumstances in which management could simultaneously schedule a non-OTDL carrier to work mandatory overtime. The union examined the nature and application of operational windows, and in particular, the legitimacy of the one that is central to this case. The union demonstrated that creating a window in and of itself does not give management the right to violate the provisions of Article 8.5 of the National Agreement. That's what we've been talking about this whole time, right? In fact, while management may establish a window, they must do do so in conformance with the various provisions of the 2001 National Agreement. Now, you hear what the union said there? In fact, while management may establish a window, they must do so in conformance with the various provisions of the 2001 National Agreement. These white pages talk about that. Because to me, I'm saying, why would you ever say management has the right to establish a window? You remember what I said? Earlier, when I said, hey, if they say it's 6 o'clock, but they're not violating Article 8, we're fine with that. Do whatever you got to do. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. So if you want to establish a window, do it. But you must do so in conformance with the various provisions of the 2001 National Agreement. Must work up to 12 hours. Only if the OTDL carries worked up to 12 hours. Those are the two things I'm using. You can get your window. You can have an operational window. Do whatever you want to do, as long as you're following the contract when you do it. In particular, the simultaneously scheduling associated with operational windows cannot be implemented in such a way that the application of 8.5D, mandatory overtime, becomes the rule. Rather, the exceptional and the provisions of Article 8.5G become meaningless. So they just reiterate what I said. This is the approach that management took in this instant case. Furthermore, there is no consistency in the application of the window, which further undermines the legitimacy of management's action in this case. Again, it has to be consistency. If you're constantly going over your operational window and you're still forcing, they're going to lose that 100% of the time. Management is. That's what we have to show through clock rings, okay, through testimony. Several alternatives to management's Article 8.5 violation in conjunction with establishing a delivery window were offered by the union. So, hey, we're showing the arbitrary, look, we're trying to help out here. These included proper staffing, hiring, reassigning current PTS from other offices, earlier starting times, earlier dispatch times for the plant to the offices, casing bulk mail in the afternoon, etc. Management made no attempt to explore any of these options. Additionally, the close proximity to the plant, the existence of collection boxes with late evening pickup times, the small number of OTDL carriers involved, and the small amount of collection mail being generated were cited to point up the weakness in management's claim regarding plant processing delays. 
Management did not address these arguments during the grievance procedure or any other union contentions for that matter. In fact, management completely failed to carry their burden of proof in the instant case. Their argument is essentially that they established a window of operation. They can no longer be held to the provisions of the national agreement. <laughs> this is an affirmative defense and as such shifts the burden of proof to them to show that they have no reasonable alternative to meeting the window than to violate Article 8.5. They have failed to provide any legitimate arguments in support of such a position in the grievance file or at arbitration hearing. Again, their reliance on arbitrator Mittenthal's 1990 award is misplaced. Management's going to use that simultaneously scheduling decision 100% of the time to justify violating Article 8. And, they, and the union talks about it here. It certainly does not give them an unfettered right to establish an operational window in violation of the national agreement. In fact, the arbitrator's assertion that the memorandum in question does not change existing practices regarding simultaneously scheduling further undercuts their position, given the historical record regarding the party's negotiations on mandatory overtime and the existing practices at James Cruz and throughout the Kansas City, Missouri installation of working OTDL carriers 12 hours in a day and 60 hours in a week prior to requiring non-OTDL carriers to work overtime. I hate reading. My tongue's going to sleep. It goes on, instead of trying to support what little argument they provided during the grievance procedure, management resorted to providing new argument and new testimony at the hearing. This is a violation of the spirit and intent of Article 15, and the union respectfully requests that, as much, it be excluded from consideration in reaching a decision on this case. Arbitration by ambush is not permitted under Article 15, and this is precisely, precisely what management attempted to do. So, the union went after that, talking about the uh, window of operation, how it didn't exist, how management didn't support it in their case file. Okay, we're supporting our position. Management did not. And here's the, the service's position. Here's what the Postal Service told the arbitrator in their opening statement. The service maintained simultaneously scheduling carries to meet the operational window which provided for the James Crew Station to adhere to final dispatch, was a sound business decision. Further, management operated within its contractual rights while doing so in this particular case. They will always say that. They operated within its contractual rights while doing so in this particular case. And I'll always take management to the contract, and I've dealt with this numerous times in arbitration, window of operation, dispatch of aid. And I'll hand them the contract because supervisors don't know what in the world's going on. Managers don't have, they're just being told to do this by upper management. And so I'll have them, I'll say, here's the JCAM. Show the arbitrator what you're talking about when you say you're operated within the contractual rights to do so. Just show the arbitrator what you're talking about. And they'll sit there and look at that JCAM like it's something that Alien just handed them. And I said, take your time, as much time as you need. Because we're talking about to operate within the contractual rights of the JCAM. Just show the arbitrator what you're talking about. They never can. It's not in there. There is no contractual rights to do that. It goes on. Article eight, Article 3 and Article 8.5D of the 2001 National Agreement provide management with the right to mandate non-OTDL carriers to work overtime when there is not sufficient auxiliary assistance available. See how they're fixing to twist it? 
During the week at issue, OTDL, PTF, and casual carriers are not available because they are carrying their other assignments to meet the deadlines necessary to meet the final dispatch. 85D. 85D. Remember how they're going to try to spin 85D? If the voluntary overtime desire list does not provide sufficient qualified people, qualified full-time regular employees not on the list may be required to work overtime on a rotating basis with the first opportunity assigned to the junior employee. 85D. Management will always use that. They will spin that. Hey, look, we didn't have enough carriers on the OTDL to meet the 5 o'clock window. That's not what that's talking about. That's not 85D is talking about 85G. <laughs> if I'm going to confuse y'all enough. I'm required to work 12 hours if I'm on the list. If all of my list carriers work 12 hours and there's still more work to do, to me, that's where 85D comes in. If all my carriers on the list work 12 hours and I've still got an entire route that hadn't been delivered and all my carriers on the list have already maximized to 12, like National Arbitrator Menthol said later, those are absolutes. 12 and 60, those are absolutes. You can't work past that. If all of my carriers have worked 12 hours and I've still got a route sitting on the floor, then and only then can you go off the list and work non-OTDL carriers. That's what 85D is talking about. To me. That's what it's talking about. Only after you maximize to 12. Because what are the two words? Only and must. Remember that? Only and must. Only until all my carriers have worked 12. Can you go off a list. That's how I feel. That's what 85D is talking about. But management's saying that they're applying 85D to mean, hey, look, if we make an operational window at 5 then we'll max to five. And then if we don't have enough carriers, then we'll have to go off the list. They're spinning that wrong. So make sure that you address that if they come at you with that. The Step B representative argues management's Article 3 rights on page 1 of the Joint Exhibit 2 during direct examination. NELC formerly representative Troy Smith testified to Article 3 of the National Agreement. Mr. Smith testified he recognized management's rights he then claimed management must work within the confines of the national agreement. This is exactly what management did in this manner. So the unions and management's asked, they're like, do whatever you want to do as long as you're working within the confines of, of the national agreement. And management said, well, that's exactly what we did. So they're not getting it. The James Crew station was operating in an efficient manner. Carriers were on the street all hours of the evening, and the mail the carriers collected during the day was not being returned to the station until the carrier returned. Subsequently, the mail was not being processed until late in the evening. Senior plant manager Vincent Jackson testified to the adverse effect of receiving originated mail outside of the dispatch schedule. He testified the originating mail is mail received from Kansas City, Missouri and is so postmarked. Mr. Jackson testified this mail is brought to Kansas City PNDC to be processed on the dispatch schedule. He testified when originating mail is brought to the PNDC later than the schedule, it can bottleneck the operation. Further, Mr. Jackson testified under cross-examination when unexpected originating mail is brought to the PNDC, the operation must be pulled down and the machines which process the originating mail must be put back online. Mr. Jackson testified the distance between where the station is from the PNDC does not matter. What matters is that the projected mail volume and that the originating mail is received when scheduled. 
The management step a representative discussed this in his decision on page 230. So they went and got the, the senior plant manager. They go and get the senior plant manager to testify, and he comes in there, and he's kissing management's ass, of course, saying, hey, look, doesn't matter what time it comes in after the dispatch, it's a bottleneck. It, it causes problems. That's where if I'm the union, I say, hey, look here. <laughs> National Arbitrary Menthol, you're talking about simultaneously scheduling? That's what he was talking about. Are you forcing all the mail handlers to work that are not on the list when this happens? Are you doing that? Well, that's what Menthol's talking about. It's the APW grievance. He's talking about it in the last dispatch when all the mail comes in, when it's too much volume, you can simultaneously schedule to get employees to stay later to help with that. That's what he's talking about. So if I'm the union, I would have bust his ass on that. And they probably did because we won. Goes on. This is management position. Further. The management step a representative discusses on page 232 of the joint exhibit the concern for the carrier's safety. Here we go. Management points to the fact carriers have been bringing undelivered mail back to the station due to darkness and their concern for their own safety. After which the union position was the carriers should not receive discipline. As the management step a representative maintained, you can't have it both ways. Utilize the 12-hour list and keep carriers out past dark but allow them to bring back mail when they deem safety an issue. We're in the delivery business. By working within the window of operation, we are able to get all mail delivered safely in a timely manner and all collection mail dispatched to the plant for timely processing. So again, they're hitting us with everything. Safety, dispatch of value, bring the plant manager in. Hey, I need all this mail on the, on the dispatch schedule. So they're hitting us with everything, right? They're gone. Hate reading. Sorry but we're going to get this down. <laughs> I'm giving you arguments. During the processing of this grievance, the union has addressed the collection box outside of the PNDC as an example of mail arriving at the plant as late as 8 p.m. Under cross-examination, Mr. Jackson explained this box is scheduled for collection every half hour, and the volume is such that it can be processed manually. This is also discussed in the Step A representative's decision. In addition, the union attempted to show the dispatch schedule this document shows management receives mail to process at all times during the day. However, Mr. Jackson gave unrebutted testimony the dispatches on this profile include many things. These things entail all types of mail and equipment. Mr. Jackson also testified this profile does not list what is on the truck identified. Clearly, this profile does not conflict with the necessity to have all originating mail dispatched from the stations as scheduled. Clearly, there is an operational necessity to have all the originating mail to the PNDC no later than the final dispatch from each of the stations. The management step B representative articulates the negative impact to this postal service when the originating mail is not received by the PNDC as scheduled. Now, that always pisses me off when the, when the step B uh, articulates anything. That's not their job. The formal A is supposed to articulate that, and then management can expound on those arguments. But anytime you sandbag a position to the B team, that pisses me off. The negative impact was one of the factors which contributed to the inefficient service being provided to our customers. Station manager Schroeder testified to the complaints he had received from customers. Mr. Schroeder explained the external first class is an index which gauges the postal service's performance. He testified the EXFC index was below 95. 
Mr. Schroer explained this score was low and results in a loss of revenue, consistently and customer satisfaction. The Step B team representative also addresses the problem on the bottom paragraph of Joint Exhibit 2, page 1. Therefore, management has an obligation and a right to address this deficiency. In doing so, management contacted the union and invited the union representatives to a meeting to discuss this matter. Prior to management's anticipated adherence to the final dispatch, in fact, NELC Regional Administrative Assistant Dan Pittman was in attendance. Mr. Pittman testified he had no problem with management implementing a window of operation as long as it did not violate the national agreement. So, management hit us with everything there. Customer service, they got us with that. Safety, got us with that. Dispatch of value, got us with that. So, again, they're hitting the arbitrator with everything. Here's what the arbitrator said. All those arguments... And remember what I was talking about when if we bring 10 sites, Madison's going to bring 10 sites in their favor. Here's the arbitrator's opinion, okay? Before proceeding to the specific contract language, facts, and circumstances which are controlling in this matter, this arbitrator notes that both parties provided numerous regional arbitration sites. Like I say, we got 10, they're going to have 10. Two national-level awards are entered into this record. One of the awards is decision by Carlton Snow, involves a matter of substantive arbitrability that is only tangentially related to the facts and circumstances of this case and is therefore not particularly instructive to this arbitrator. The decision of arbitrator Mittenthal, talking about simultaneously scheduling, employees for overtime is instructed. Further, the reasoning of arbitrator Mittenthal in that matter is also persuasive concerning the issues raised here, particularly in light of subsequent regional decision by arbitrator De Leon Klein. In that case, the APW argues that in 1984, negotiations, new, new obligations were placed upon management to justify the simultaneously scheduling of OTDL and non-OTDL employees for overtime. Arbitrator Mittenthal rejected the union contention, reasoning that whatever the party's practices were concerning the simultaneously scheduling employees prior to the negotiations of 1984 would remain in their practice under the new contract language. Even though this cited case involves a memorandum of understanding between the service and the APWU, this arbitrator is persuaded that arbitrator Mittenthal's decision in that matter provides guidance with Ackable here. And here's a little bit of what about what arbitrator Mittenthal stated. The parties acknowledge that simultaneously scheduling must be supported by legitimate or valid reasons. Their quarrel is whether the memorandum negotiations, specifically the examples discussed in those December 1984 negotiations, resulted in an agreement that simultaneously scheduling was warranted only where necessary to meet the dispatch schedules, service standards, and other time-critical requirements identified in the facility operating plan. APW alleges there was such an agreement. The Postal Service says there was not. So you hear that? Facility operating plan. So this arbitrary Menthol's decision was based off of a plant. The last dispatch, when all the mail comes in, I keep saying that, when all the mail came in to the plant and it took an overabundance of people to get that mail processed, then you could, you could schedule off the list. That's what Menthol's decision was based off. Arbitrator Menthol's delineation of the minimum standards for simultaneously scheduling includes the items argued by management and the arbitration of this grievance. However, without specifically stating that the simultaneously scheduling of OTDL and non-OTDL employees is an exception to Article 8, 
Arbitrator Mintenthal places a burden on management to demonstrate that the reasons for the simultaneously scheduling are legitimate or valid reasons. Management argues at both formal Step A and Step B that the union has not shouldered its burden of proof in this matter to show that the reasons for the simultaneously scheduling are lacking in validity or legitimacy. As Arbitrator Dillion Klein opined in her decision in the Fargo-North Dakota case, Article 8.5 and the Article 8 memorandum balance the needs of management to meet delivery standards through the assignment of overtime with the wishes of employees who want to work overtime and those who do not. Article 3 gives management the right to establish a window of operations for pickup and delivery of mail. However, the implementation of such a window must be accomplished in accordance with the provisions of Article 8.5 in its entirety. The implementation of a window of operations cannot, by that factor alone, establish an insufficient number of qualified OTDM employees and therefore justify forcing non-ODM employees to work overtime when there are OTL carriers who have not been utilized to the fullest extent. The carriers are entitled to the protections of Article 8.5. The arbitrator finds from the evidence that management was unable to show that there was a, no reasonable alternative to meet the 4.30 p.m. window of operations other than course of action which contravened Article 8.5G. That was a lot I put on you right there. Let me slow that down. Because he addresses 8.5G. When we talk about only, remember, the implementation of a window of operation cannot, by that factor alone, establish an insufficient number of qualified ODM employees and therefore justify forcing non-ODM employees to work overtime when there are ODL carriers who have not been utilized to the fullest extent. Remember 8.5D? How management misrepresents that, 8.5D? When they say, if the voluntary overtime desire list does not provide sufficient qualified people, qualified full-time regular employees not on the list may be required to work overtime on a rotating basis. Remember that? She shoots that down right there when she says that. The implementation of window operations cannot by that factor alone establish an insufficient number of qualified OTD employees and therefore justify forcing non-OD employees to work overtime when there are ODL carriers who have not been utilized to the fullest extent. She's shooting that down right there. Where management says, hey, look, we can do that based off of 8.5D. Because there's not enough qualified carriers on the list to make our to meet our 5 o'clock window. So we have to go off the list to make this 5 o'clock window or the 6 o'clock window. She said, no, we're not going to do that. You're not going to misrepresent that. You're not going to spin that like that. Of the regional arbitration awards entered by representative parties, it is this decision of arbitrator DeLeon Klein that this arbitrator finds most persuasive. In every one of my window of operation cases, in every one of my dispatch of value cases, I've used that DeLeon Klein site. In every single one of them. It's as money as it gets. And a lot of arbitrators will connect with that one. Management bears the burden to show that their actions in this matter were, as arbitrator Menthol required, legitimate and valid. The burden of proof is discharged by the union when it demonstrates that Article 8 is violated. Management is then obliged to offer the affirmative defense contemplated in the national level award by arbitrator Menthol and contemplated in the regional level award by arbitrator DeLeon Klein. He goes on. Management has addressed the union's complaints concerning the violation of Article 8 
of the 2001 National Agreement. Management's formal Step A position states, due to numerous vacancies experienced at the James Cruz Station because of sick calls, military leave, limited and light duty, it is sometimes necessary to simultaneously schedule OTDL and non-OTDL, a situation that otherwise would result in violation of Article 8.5 in order to meet the final dispatch of value. The final dispatch of value at James is 6 o'clock. Management has established 5.30 as the time carriers need to be back in order to meet the final dispatch of value. This is a realist he keeps misspelling things. Expectation and since implementation has been the normal delivery standard and has been consistently enforced as shown in the accompanying tax reports, management has made an attempt to comply with Article 8. First, every effort is made to maximize the OTDL within the window, including allowing early start times by OTDL when mail volume is available. OTDL carriers are permitted to work past 530 as long as they return prior to dispatch at 6. With 66 routes, it would not be feasible to have all the carriers return just prior to dispatch. They are all also allowed to stay and perform other duties if available. All OTDL carriers are scheduled prior to scheduling non-OTDL carriers, and then they are scheduled on a rotating basis. Again, they're trying to spin that 85D, right? That's management trying to spin 85D. What is seemingly missed in this contention is the specific language of Article 8, Article 8, Section 5D. If the voluntary overtime desire list does not provide sufficient qualified people, qualified full-time regular employees not on the list may be required to work overtime on a rotating basis with the first opportunity assigned to the junior employee. He goes on, Specifically, management is authorized to force carriers not on OTL to work overtime, but only in the case where overtime desire list does not provide sufficient qualified people. It is clear that management recognizes that there are staffing problems at James Cruz. Sick leave, limited duty, and light duty may be things which are difficult to plan. However, no evidence was proffered in this record to show the nature of the limited or light duty assignments and whether planning was possible for these employees' situations. Military leave is specifically identified as a long-term issue, and in December of the year, National Guard summer camps are not the sort of problem that results in the sort of grievance. Military leave is a, or should be a predictable need which could be reasonably anticipated by management. If management rely on such issues as causing for implementing the exception of Article 8, Section 5D, it is incumbent upon management to demonstrate those issues with a preponderance of the credible evidence. So management saying, look, we got so many sick calls, we got limited light duty, and they came to the table with no evidence to support that contention. Remember what I've always said? If you, make a, if you make an issue, you better support that issue with, with your contentions. You better support that issue with documentation. If we're saying there's a violation of 1731, how? How did they violate it? What are we going to show to prove that? If we're saying there's a violation of Article 8, how are we proving that? Through documentation, through evidence. If I'm making an issue, if I'm making a contention, and I don't support it with anything, it's hollow. It doesn't matter. I can raise Cain about everything, but if I'm not supporting it with documentation, with evidence, it's meaningless. That's what's happened here. When he says it is incumbent upon management to demonstrate those issues that are preponderance of the credible evidence. They didn't do it. They just said something was happening and they didn't support it. 
He goes on, in careful examination of the record made at formal step A and step B, there is nothing in the record except broad generalities concerning the plant's requirements and without specific data showing the plant's requirements and how abiding by Article 8 could or could not be accommodated, which is not even addressed in Mr. Jackson's testimony, this arbitrator is left with little upon which to base a favorable ruling for the Postal Service. As was the case in the matter between Arbitrator DeLeon Klein, the record in this matter shows a rather arbitrary cutoff point of 5.30 to meet an operational window. Without the development of such clear evidence during the grievance procedure, no arbitrator operating under the language of Article 15 of the National Agreement could provide the relief from Article 8 that the service seeks here. That does not mean there is not good cause for 5.30 cutoff and that earlier begin tours or greater staffing in the carrier craft are not reasonably possible. What it means is that proof of those contentions are not found in the record developed at formal step A or step B of the grievance procedure. Frankly, in this arbitrator's considered opinion, the evidence entered into the record by Mr. Jackson and Mr. Shore, which was excluded as new argument <laughs> or new evidence, would have fall also fallen short of meeting management's obligations to persuade this arbitrator that they're not complying with Article 8's requirements were based on valid or legitimate needs of the service as provided for under Article 3 of the 2001 National Agreement. So <laughs> what he's saying is Mr. Jackson, the plant manager, and Schroer came in and testified under the union's objection as new argument. He heard them out. They'll always do that. I'll hear, I'll hear what they have to say, and I'll give it whatever weight it carries. Well, when he wrote this up, he excluded it. He said, I listened to you. I'm not going to take into consideration because it's new argument. So... <laughs> Uh, anyway, I thought that was funny. Further, supporting the record of evidence reviewed to this point is the fact that it appears that the practices of management concerning simultaneous scheduling of OTDL with non-OTL carriers has rather consistently resulted in grievance. Remember what I said? If they're constantly violating it, make sure you're filing it. Further, the record shows that these grievances have been resolved in the main by granting the union's grievances. This evidence alone is not convincing, but it is certainly indicative of an ongoing problem in this installation. It goes on. Union contention at 12 hours and 60 hours are absolutes. Now, listen to this. Management at Step B complains that the union has taken a position that the 12-hour and 60-hour mandates in Article 8, Section 5, Paragraph G are absolutes, and management violates the requirement of Article 8 if employees are not offered these hours. This arbitrator is not persuaded that the union has taken this position, but clearly, management has the right to schedule simultaneously, but in so doing, management assumes the burden to show that it schedules simultaneously for legitimate or valid reasons, as identified in the Menthol Award. In this case, management simply did not prove the legitimacy or validity of its reasons for the aggrieved simultaneously scheduling. It is true, as management alleges, that there is no absolute requirement that OTDL carriers must be offered 12 hours a day or 60 hours per week before non-OTL employers are assigned overtime. Management must prove, pursuant to the Mittenthal Award, that it had legitimate or valid reasons for scheduling the non-OTL carriers to overtime assignments before exhausting the resources provided for on the overtime desired list. It is also true that the existence of window of operation does not give management license to simultaneously schedule OTDL and non-OTDL employees to overtime. Management must show the legitimacy of the window of operation. It must provide those arguments with supporting evidence in the appropriate place in the grievance process so as to make it admissible at arbitration if management is to prevail in arbitration. 
It is therefore the arbitrator's considered opinion that this grievance must be sustained on its merits. And then he talks about his remedy, which I don't agree with at all. Remedy is straight garbage uh, because he doesn't grant those that were forced to work overtime administrative leave. And I think any remedy, any remedy that does that is straight bull, straight garbage. So, uh, but he talks about management's obligation, okay? I'm always going to say, management always says they were already paid, there's no harm. And that's what he says. So that, that remedy is straight doo-doo uh, on that. But it talks, it gives you an insight into management's thinking, what management thinks, uh, what they're going to argue, um, what we're going to argue. So uh, informals, when you're putting your contentions together, look at those sites. I wouldn't use that site in arbitration, but it's a great site. It's a key case. But it gives you great insight and management's arguments, all their arguments that they're going to make in front of an arbitrator. Okay, uh, formal A's, read those sites. All of management's arguments that they're going to make are covered in those two decisions, and so that way we can we can prepare ourselves for those arguments. What what are we going to need to defeat those arguments? What will management need to support the window? Uh, so it's critical things but way back when when i first started hearing these cases it was nationwide management was attempting to implement window of operations nationwide so we were all over the place fighting these things in arbitration and were extremely successful only because we read sites we got management's arguments what are they talking about why are they implementing a five o'clock six o'clock dispatch of value window of operation is it safety is it darkness is it customer satisfaction? Is it dispatch of value? There's numerous things that they're going to argue, okay? So we're going to have to be ready for all these things. A couple more sites, and I'm going to get into the white pages. This is a long one. Y'all wake up out there. Wake up. Again, don't use that site I just read because he talks about uh, carriers not on the list or not deserving anything further. That's garbage. We're doing administrative leave, and that's what we'll argue. Here's a decision from Arbitrator Roberts. I'm not going to read union management's position because you get the gist of it. You understand where they're coming from. All these are the same. I'm going to read you what arbitrators are saying about it in our favor. But all of management's arguments, in every case, you're going to see the same thing. Why they're doing what they're doing. Why are they implementing 5 o'clock? Why are they doing 6 o'clock? It's a dispatch of value. It's the last dispatch of mail. The truck leaves at this time. How are we going to beat that? It's safety, darkness. How are we going to beat that? It's it's our EXFC scores. I don't even know if they do that anymore, but they're down because customers are not satisfied. We're getting mail delivered that late at night. All these arguments, they're all the same. <clears throat> Here's one from Arbitrator Roberts. This is my first case in Lake Charles. This is uh, January 9th of 2014 was his award. And it's C31146. C31146. And I remember this case like it was yesterday. And this is what I was talking about when nationwide this is going crazy. Wind of operation, dispatch of A. So I think that National was handling all these cases. They were assigning carriers or advocates to these cases. So I get a phone call from National. Look on my phone, it says National. I said, hmm, wonder what this is about. But anyway, it was a gentleman, and he says, hey, Corey, we're going to send you to Lake Charles. And I'm like, well, why is my business agent not calling me? But they were handling these at the time. 
and they were like, we're going to send you down to Lake Charles. It's a window of operation dispatch of value case. I was like, okay. We had just lost one in Lake Charles. I told you about because there was no OTDL list in the case file. Uh, the case, for some reason, that was left out, and that cost us $7,000 by not having it in it. That's what that case was worth, $7,000. So they sent me down there. So I'm like, damn, national sending me. Let me get my shit together. So I studied this thing. I studied and studied and studied on this thing. And so they send in this area specialist. She's from Texas. She comes in. She has nothing to do with Lake uh, Louisiana, but they send her in from Texas. So they're sending their best in there to go against us. And here I am, just this little yokel coming in from Nashville. And, uh, you know, this is 2014. I'd only been an advocate two years. And so I'm sent down there. They send in this specialist from Texas, and she comes in there. And right off the jump, Right off the jump, she raises a threshold issue. She's questioning the arbitrability of this case. And she says, Mr. Arbitrator, this case is not arbitrable. So I sit up in my chair. I'm like, okay, where are we going? She's like, the union is attempting to include a carrier. It was a class action, but it was based off of one carrier working overtime. And they were saying that the union is trying to say that we violated the agreement and we're trying to pay a PTF carrier. Of course, they're not on the list. There is no list for them. So they're saying if you look at the clock ring, it's coded. The carrier that they're talking about is coded as a PTF. It's not, it's not arbitrable because they're not on the list. We can't violate Article 8. PTFs aren't, aren't do anything. They can't be on an OTDL list. I saw that when she said that. I could feel myself getting lightheaded. <laughs> I'm like, am I falling out of my chair? Because <laughs> I didn't catch that. I studied this thing. I swear to God, I studied this thing for a week. Every time I got home until I went to sleep, I studied this thing so I'd have it to memory. I never saw that on the clock ring. I thought I was passing out. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like getting lightheaded. I'm like, how in the world did we miss that? So the arbitrator looks at me as arbitrator Lawrence Roberts. He looks at me. He's like, Mr. Walton. He said, uh, he didn't ask me if it's true or not. He just like, Mr. Walton. He's like, is this in the case file anywhere? I said, no, sir. He said, this argument was not raised at any point before here. I said, no, sir. He looks at the lady. He's like, ma'am, is this a new argument? She's like, it doesn't matter. He said, I didn't ask you what mattered. He said, I asked you if it was a new argument. And she's like, well, yeah. He said, I'm not going to consider it. It's a new argument. What happened was they have a delay when carriers go to full time for some reason in Lake Charles, wherever they do it, there's a delay in changing their code. So I could have easily, I was, had AJ, he was fixing to come in and testify. He's like, oh, no, that's not a contention. He's like, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. They know at the lower levels that it's a delay. This guy's been full-time for a month, and, and he's on the list. And uh, so I was going to have him come in and clear it up. But when she said that, I remember thinking, holy hell, <laughs> I, I lost the case in like a first-round knockout. But uh, arbitrator shot that down. He talks about that, but. He states this about a window of operation, and it's very, these are things that we need to, to know 
and we need to address, we need to get ready for, okay? Here's what arbitrator Roberts says. The crux of the employer defense was that a window of operation. However, other than a mention by name only, I could find no other evidence in the case file or witness testimony that would indicate or even suggest the presence of any type of window of operation existence at this Lake Charles facility. And the record clearly shows that supposed window of operation was often and regularly violated. You got that? As I've stated before in past decisions regarding overtime assignments, a window of operation could be a valid defense of the employer based on the circumstances evolving around the specific case at hand. However, prior to that window of operation defense being considered, the employer must first show the existence of such a policy at that particular facility. Y'all get that? The employer must first show the existence of such a policy at that particular facility. I'd ask for that. Hey, starting tomorrow, we're all coming in at 5 o'clock. Let me see that policy. Because that's a window of operation, right? Let me see that policy. However, in this case, other than the mention of a window of operation being in place, there was simply no evidence in the case file that would indicate or even suggest that such a policy was ever in place at this Lake Charles facility. The mere claim of the existence of a window of operation is simply not enough to qualify such a defense. That's good language. For if that were the case, each and every overtime claim made by the union could conceivably be dismissed due to an alleged window of operation being in place. However, that should never be the case on the basis of a mere assumption. The prerequisite to a window of operation defense is either documented proof of its existence or credible testimony indicating that everyone at the facility was aware of its existence. And in addition to that would be a requisite sampling of time records to show a consistent compliance. Remember that? Let's go back over time and see. Are y'all consistently meeting this window of operation? I guarantee they're not. However, at any rate, none of that occurred in this instant case. With that being said, I was convinced there was clearly an Article 8 overtime assignment violation as alleged by the union in this matter. Secondly, I was convinced by the case file itself that this has been an ongoing issue at this facility and uh this is one where he he awarded him five hundred dollars on the way to one thousand so that's good language pay attention to that stuff okay arbitrators are telling you what management's going to need to justify one of operation or dispatch of value they're telling you what they're going to need if they don't have those things contend it last side i'm gonna read and i'm gonna get into these white pages this is a long episode. Holy smokes. I apologize for reading so much, but I want y'all to be prepared when we're dealing with management coming in saying, hey, five o'clock, six o'clock, even if it's already been done, even if you've been doing this for a year, but you constantly violate an article eight, if management's constantly violating article eight to do these things, let's go to arbitration on them. Okay. Here's arbitrator August. This is from 2016. Okay, this is a case I had here. This is what I told you about where I went to my district manager so that I can show you better than I can tell you. But it was a dispatch of value, went of operation case. Okay, on page eight, here's management's position. I am going to read this because it's, remember 1993 when the one I read you? Here's 2016. Let's see what they say. 
In the instant case, management contended that they only maintained the efficiency of the operations entrusted to it. Talking about Article 3 now. By utilizing the personnel necessary to meet the customer's needs that are inconsistent with applicable laws and regulations. Management further contended that on the date in question, June 15, 2015, they met their window of operation in order to make timely dispatch of their outgoing mail. So they hit the arbitrator with customer service and dispatch of A. According to management, they utilized simultaneously scheduling, and therefore there was no violation of the national agreement when they scheduled non-overtime desired list employees to perform overtime on June 15th. So now they're hitting it with National Arbitrator Menthol, simultaneously scheduling. Remember, we talked about that. It was the position of management on the date that is the subject of the instant grievance. ODL carriers were working overtime on their own routes, cased other routes, or carried mail on other routes, and all full-time carriers and city carrier assistants returned timely to the office to make the dispatch of value. Management contended that each grievance must stand on its own facts and circumstances, and in the case at bar, ODL carriers were maximized to the woo window of operation, and they disputed whether any returning ODL carriers could have been sent back out to deliver mail within the rule of reason. Okay? Now, let me stop there. Management contended that each grievance must stand on its own facts and circumstances, and in the case at bar, ODL carriers were maximized to the woo. Remember 85D, what I keep telling you about? They're saying, hey, as long as we maximize to the woo, whatever it is, if it's nine hours, if it's ten hours, they're maximized. We say maximization is what, 12 hours? That's what we say. That's what the contract says. Management says, no, we don't have to do that. Under 85D, we can maximize to a window to a window of operation or dispatch of value. Whatever time that is, we can maximize to that. That's what they're saying. And then she says, be sent back out to deliver mail within the rule of reason. That's when the arbitrator, I don't know if you remember, the arbitrator said, Madison, what's your take on the rule of reason? They, they had no idea. And then she asked me, and I told her in this one, this isn't dealing with the rule of reason. This is non-ODL carriers working off assignment. Rule of reason doesn't apply. She goes on, management, this is what management stated, and this is their position. Management, while denying a violation of Article 8 and 15, also contended that the union cannot demonstrate any agreed-upon contract provisions for granting administrative leave under the circumstances presented. Because we're saying non-ODL carriers are uh, entitled to administrative leave because you stole their time from them. They further contended that the Employee and Labor Relations Manual, Section 519, did not provide for granting administrative leave under the circumstances of this grievance. Management argued that the remedy requested by the union in this case is unjustifiable and unjust enrichment for only one day of an alleged violation. Unjust enrichment. Regarding the violations alleged by the union, management contended that Carrier Crop, who transferred from one by station, and who the union alleged was on the work assignment only list, was in fact on the overtime desired list. Management cited page 42 of the Joint Exhibit 2 file, which in the union's own calculations, Carrier Crop was on the ODL. And then they keep talking about that. Management testified that there were legitimate and valid reasons of operational necessity for establishing a window of operations, including consistent customer service and the need to get all carriers back to the station to time to meet the dispatch of value. They contended allowing ODDL carriers to work 12 hours and miss the dispatch of value would result in gross inefficiency because truck schedules are set up to maximize plant processing capabilities which are geared towards customer service. 
Have we heard that before? It's like they have a little template they send out. This is what you're going to argue. Customer satisfaction, safety, dispatch of value. On June 15th, management maintained the supervisors need to meet the required deadlines made him decide to affect one non-ODL carrier and schedule him in his non-scheduled day because they were already splitting one route. According to management, if they had not scheduled non-ODL, non-scheduled carrier, they would have affected four non-ODL carriers if they had to split two routes. Management contended that the window of operation at West Station is 1,800 hours and the dispatch of value is 1,820. They further contended that it was necessary to schedule the non-ODL, non-scheduled carrier in order to meet the dispatch of value on June 15, 2015. Management asserted that they have the ability as well as the right to simultaneously schedule employees when there is a limited amount of time to complete work overtime, which when divided amongst multiple carriers can be completed in time to meet the service's operational objectives. They noted that the Postal Service was in competitive business and if they did not meet their commitments, their customers would seek out the services of their competitors. Hmm? That's a little twist for you. A little something new. Management cited the PVS truck schedules on page 174 as the reasons for its setting 1,800 hours as its window of operation. This dispatch, they say, may or may not provide carriers 12 hours of available work, but the reasoning has nothing to do with overtime but is set based on service standards. Management argued that the union had not demonstrated that the WU was an illegitimate deadline or that it cannot realistically be met. Regarding the language of the national agreement, management argued that the intent of the parties took into consideration situations where ODL carriers would be worked less than 12 hours before they would find them the need to go off the list. Management cited the language used up to 12 hours and argued that the negotiators were aware of such circumstances or they would have simply stated they must work 12 hours before going off the list. Y'all hear that? Up to 12 hours? Up to 12 hours doesn't mean that it will be 12 hours. It's up to 12 hours. Y'all remember that language in 85G? Full-time employees not on the overtime list may be required to work overtime only only if all available employees on the overtime desire list have worked up to 12 hours. Only, they're, they're using that word uh, up to. It says overtime only if all available employees on the overtime desire list have worked up to 12 hours. And remember what Richard Menthol stated in 85F. An employee on the ODL must be required to work up to 12 hours in a day. Before management may require employees not on the OTDL to work overtime, they're misrepresenting that. They maintained that wasn't the case. In the instant grievance, management held that when they properly maximize the ODL to the dispatch of value, Article 8 permits the use of non-ODL carriers with no mention of any additional penalty. Finally, management insisted that an operational window is a reasonable exercise of management's rights under Article 3, and that Article 8 does not override their power to determine the most efficient and economical means to schedule carriers as long as their actions are not arbitrary and capricious. After citing arbitrable decisions in support of their position, management requests that the arbitrator be compelled to deny the grievance in its entirety. And here's what the arbitrator said. Discussion. And she hits them right in the face with 85G. Discussion, 85G. Full-time employees not on the overtime desired list may be required to work overtime only, she caps it, 
If all available employees on the overtime desired list have worked up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. Then she states this. This contract case involves alleged ongoing violations of Article 8 at the National Tennessee Installation following numerous Step B decisions and that issued cease and desist orders regarding violations of Article 8 and 15. Specifically, the union alleges that management at the West Station in Nashville, Tennessee, violated the national agreement when non-ODL and work assignment-only carriers were mandated to work overtime on and off their routes before maximizing carriers on the ODL to 12 hours as required by the national agreement and joint contract administration manual. (laughs) I'm going on two hours here. (laughs) Holy cow. God. The national agreement at Article 8 defines how overtime is scheduled when operationally required, and Section 5 of the article describes the process which was agreed upon by the parties. An overtime desired list was established to distinguish between those employees who requested to be voluntarily assigned to overtime on any given day. Management at the West Station in Nashville, Tennessee, on June 15, 2015, utilized work assignment only, non-scheduled Kerry Anderson for eight hours of overtime work on his scheduled day off prior to maximizing ODL carriers to 12 hours work. Additionally, the evidence of record, West Station schedule and overtime desired list indicated Kerry Crop was signed up for work assignment only, although it was argued by management that Mr. Crop was on the OTDL 12-hour list. On the day in question, management also utilized Mr. Crop on overtime, off his regular work assignment, prior to maximizing the ODTL carrier to 12 hours. Management argued that their established window of operations and dispatch of value gave them the right to simultaneously schedule ODL and non-ODL carriers to complete the work on June 15, 2015, in time to meet the WU and subsequent dispatch of value. Management cited Article 85D to support their position. If the voluntary overtime desired list does not provide sufficient qualified people, qualified full-time regular employees not on the list may be required to work overtime on a rotating basis with the first opportunity assigned to the junior employee. However, Article 85G is not silent in regards to simultaneously scheduling. Management, by virtue of the national agreement at Article 3, has the right to mandate overtime for non-ODL carriers. However, it must do so while adhering to the remaining covenants of the bargaining agreement, specifically Article 85G. She catches them. Article 85G, full-time employees not on the overtime desire list may be required to work overtime only. If all available employees on the overtime desire list have worked up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. Here she goes now. Listen. The parties were very specific in their language and gave no scenarios, which included simultaneously scheduling prior to utilizing OTDL employees 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a week. There is no window of operation mentioned. Come on. Nor does the article state that ODL carriers must first be utilized up to the dispatch of value. It states they must be worked up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a week prior to requiring non-ODL or work assignment carriers to work overtime, not on their route. The parties were undoubtedly aware of truck schedules, absenteeism, and other operational issues prior to negotiating this agreement. 
The language of Article 85G was negotiated in 1984, and that specific language to date has not changed. She took all of management's arguments, every single one of them. She took them in her hands, and she balled them up, wadded them up, and threw them in the trash. <laughs> That's what she just did. All these things you're saying, all these things you're saying you needed on Operation 104, surely the parties considered that when they came up with Article 85G. So she wadded all the shit up and threw it in the trash like she should have. That's a great site. That's a great site. It's C32315, and I have it up. But she takes all of management's arguments and said, look, 85G says what it says. It says what it says. It doesn't say that there's any stipulations. It doesn't say they must work up to 12 hours unless you have a dispatch of value. It says it doesn't say that you work up to 12 hours unless the customers aren't happy. Right? It doesn't say any of those things. It says they must work up to 12 hours. Only if carriers on a list have worked 12 hours. That's our argument every time. Should I stop it right here and then just get this next week? Y'all are going to be asleep. This is long. This These white paper pages are long. That's what I'm going to do. Let's stop it right here. That's two hours. Let's stop it right here uh, because I don't want to get so long that I, I never intended for that to happen. So long that y'all have turned this thing off because it's too important. Window of operation dispatch of value is too important to beat for me to keep on for three hours. So I'm going to stop it right here. Next Sunday, I'm going to do these white pages, okay? And Because I'm going to read the white pages because uh, it deals solely with overtime staffing and simultaneously scheduling. And that's M document 1548. So I'm going to stop it right here. I was going to do it all, but I didn't realize that I was going to be talking that much, two hours already. And uh, I'm going to lose you if I keep going. So let's stop it right here. Next week, I'm going to get in these white pages, and then i got to go out of town. But I'll wake up early and do that so I can end this thing. But uh, wind of operation and dispatch of value. Hopefully, you understand where management's coming from, their arguments, what our arguments are going to be. Uh, 85G will always be our argument only and must, okay? That's 85F. But... Uh, anytime in your station, management wants to come in and say, hey, look, 5 o'clock, all the carriers need to be off the street. 6 o'clock, all the carriers need to be off the street. We have a dispatch of value. We're going to attack those things, okay, because we're going to protect our brothers and sisters that choose not to work overtime. I want to go see my grandson play baseball, okay? I don't care about your damn dispatch of value window of operation. I care about my grandson. I'm going to go watch him play soccer or baseball, and you're not going to have me out here working when you're not maximizing a list of 12. Okay? That's what we're going to do. We're going to protect our people from management doing that. It's a lazy way to get carriers off the street. It's lazy scheduling to me. We'll always fight those things. So hopefully this has helped you. I haven't confused you with all that reading. I'm a terrible reader. I hate reading. I get bored myself. I fell asleep two or three times right there in this episode reading to you. I had to wake myself up when I hit the mic. But uh, <laughs> simultaneously scheduling. Let's beat that, okay? That's where they tried to go with this stuff, Arbitrator Mittenthal. Uh, 
We're going to tack all these things in this, these white pages next week. All right. So um, dispatch of value, window of operation. We're going to be prepared for it. We're going to be prepared to beat those things. All right. Y'all have a great rest of the week. Sorry this took so long. I'll do better on that. Next week, we get into the white pages, and I'll finish this up for you. Win of operation, dispatch of value. We're going to be ready for it. All right. Y'all take care of yourself. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you next Sunday. Bye-bye.